As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Women have been giving birth for centuries, so it's a pretty natural experience, right? Wrong. I'm Stephanie King, professional doula, childbirth educator, and the creator of the My Essential Birth Course, the online childbirth education course that's helping women everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. Today's culture would have us think that birth should be treated like an illness or an emergency, and that most of us need other people telling us what's best for our bodies because we aren't the experts. So sit tight, because if you're tuning into this podcast, you'll probably start to believe in your body, your intuition, and find yourself empowered and confident to do what it takes to have the birth of your dreams. If you like listening to me take you through these weekly topics step-by-step, then you're going to love the My Essential Birth course. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast and definitely head over to myessentialbirth.com for the free downloads mentioned right here in these episodes and to join the birth course and community full of pregnant moms just like you. I have to add a disclaimer that I am not a medical professional and I cannot provide medical advice. All of the information expressed in this podcast are based off of personal, professional, and educational experiences and are my own opinion. Please work with a provider you trust for medical advice during your pregnancy and birth. Welcome back to the podcast. And our reviewer of the week is Epultar, E-P-U-L-T-A-R. She says, I listened to every episode during my first pregnancy two years ago, about to go through it all again with my second pregnancy. This podcast and Stephanie's Instagram really helped me feel like such a strong, educated mama when it came down to delivery. I don't think it would have gone as smoothly as it did without her. Now I know what I'm capable of and I'm not scared at all for the next one. Thank you so much for all of this helpful information. Thank you for your review. Thank you for being back again. Congratulations on pregnancy number two. And I feel like you're going to enjoy today's podcast episode. Um, For those of you that are listening, I'm pretty excited to have Kim West here with me. I'm going to let her introduce herself in just a moment. Um, But this is a topic we get to talk about today, which has to do with newborn sleep, um, that we get to talk about a little bit of what happens during pregnancy to prepare you for having a newborn and what's going to come with newborn sleep, as well as what to expect postpartum and going into those next couple of months. So Kim, will you take a moment and introduce yourself, please? Yes. Hi, Stephanie. Um, I'm Kim West. I'm a mother of two. I am a licensed family therapist for 30 years, and I was dubbed the name probably 25 years ago, the sleep lady by a little (laughs) three-year-old when I was doing sleep coaching and I created the first gentle um, sleep coaching method. And now I'm applying that to newborns. Yeah, that's awesome. And you've sent me your book. Um, So we'll get Mm -hmm. to talking about all of the incredible stuff that you have to offer. And we'll make sure to link everything for those of you that are listening in the show notes. Um, But you have a ton, you're just a wealth of information when you say, you know, 30 years and um, kids of your own and being able to teach mothers. It's just huge. I love that you're in the space. And I love that you've remained there because that's where we get the knowledge and the wisdom of of the years of teaching. Mm. Um, 
you said, so in here, you talk about um, developing a gentle approach to sleep coaching. Will you talk a little bit about what led you to do that? Hmm. So when I had my first daughter, who is 28 years old now, can't even believe it. Um, at the time, the only thing we had what was a book, and it was a paperback, so we imagine we didn't have digital. Um, I know that makes me sound like a dinosaur, but um, was Ferber's book here in America. Apparently, there wasn't another book also in Europe. And that was put your baby in, in their crib, drowsy but awake, and leave the room and uh, let them cry and go in and you could go in and check on them in sort of what I call time checks or in timed increments. And I wasn't convinced that that actually made any sense from what I knew as a family therapist in supporting a secure attachment. And even sort of like logically, I thought to myself, what are they learning <laughs> um, by this? It was sort of, and I thought the same thing in graduate school you know, when we do two years of internships and then I, I would be working with kids, uh, little kids, um, and they would have a temper tantrum. And at the time, and it's, this is still told to us as parents, uh, you're supposed to A, walk away when they have a tantrum. And then B, if that doesn't work, or maybe shortly thereafter, do time out. Um, and I never understood, like, so you make a child go sit in a chair and what if they don't stay in the chair? <laughs> and then what are they also learning from that? So it's sort of, and I thought, well, let me have a child. What do I know? Right. And had a child. And then I found that it was the same thing. So I thought, well, if they don't have the skills to the infamous self-soothe, uh, which newborns don't, then, then I need to help be there for them to reassure them and that I could start to do less and less as they grew more and develop more skills. And so I applied that first in my first book to babies six months and older and I developed and I experimented on my first uh, child. She's <laughs> turned out to, I always say she's the cutest guinea pig I know <laughs> and, uh, and turned out well um, uh, with this gentle approach where I stayed with her as she, when she was old enough, as she learned the skills of putting herself to sleep independently, I offered physical and verbal reassurance. And then I slowly moved away, did less and less as she was able to incorporate the skill herself. And I coached families through that process and it just, it was hugely successful. I think because, well, a, most times our biggest fear and concern is in leaving our child to cry it out. We feel guilty. We're worried. And it makes it really hard for us to be consistent. Yeah. And then we give mixed messages and that makes the problem um, worse. And secondly, because I was coaching them through the whole process, each parent had, you know, support, an objective person to offer, you know, strategies and they were successful. And so it, it just really took off from there on its own, because as you know, sleep is like the best gift of mm. all. <laughs> you just can't function without it. Um, 
I have another name for you. I'm going to call you the sleep doula because as you were explaining everything that you do, and that's exactly what doulas do, like in the birth space, I'm just an extra person there that can say, you're doing fine. It's okay. And that assurance is everything. It was the same in, in my own birth with my own doula. It's like, she's not freaking out. I don't need to freak out. She said that was good. Okay. I can trust that my husband said that was good. You know what I mean? Um, So, I mean, that's awesome. I just love it. And what you're talking about, too, I feel like speaks to the mom heart. Like we've got we've got these two systems like right, like we've got our mind, but we also have our emotions. And when those things are not connected, like you were saying, logically, okay, yeah, it can make sense that my baby needs to maybe learn to be by themselves. So you can talk yourself into the logic of different methods. But when you're pulling away and your baby's crying and you can't handle it because your mom heart is saying that's not right it doesn't connect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel mm-hmm. like what you're describing makes sense as a mother, how those, you know, logically this yeah. makes sense. And I feel okay with it, which is kind of well, where you want to be. And also sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know if that logically makes sense for my baby, for me in this moment, yeah. you know, and, and that I really feel like we have to kind of, or empower parents to listen to their gut, yeah. you know, and their intuition. Yeah. Um, I think we have so many distractions. I mean, we had a ton when, when I was a young parent, but it's even more now, you know, that pulls us outside of ourselves and looking for answers outside. And so I always, you know, encourage parents to say, okay, so maybe I learned this stuff over here. And by the way, I include whatever advice I give you to. Um, and now how does that feel in here, in my heart and in my gut. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Yes. Mother's intuition is a very real thing. And it's not just for pregnancy and birth. It's the rest of their lives. You're going to have that intuition and you can tune into it. I love that you mentioned that. Um, So you did, you wrote this new book. Um, What Mm -hmm. was it that or how did how does this method and approach differ from the first book? Because you have you have a first book and now you have this book. We maybe talk about the difference between the two and why you felt inspired sure. to write the second. Sure. So my first book, which is the Sleep Ladies Good Night Sleep Tight, that's been out for nineteen years, um, selling consistently, it was really one of the first with this gentle approach, and um, it was really meant for parents of children six months to six years old. And I had some newborn sections in it. And during the third edition, um, I pulled out, I mean, I have a you know chapter or so um, on the younger babies, but not because I want you to sleep train them. Um, and I found that, that parents were so desperate and being told messages of sleep train your newborn Mm. um, at one week, six week, eight week. uh, And largely the best way to do it is what these parents are being told is by cry it out. Right. And that if you can't do it, you know, it's because you weren't strong enough and you'll have a lifetime of problems. And I was like, what? Wait a minute. First of all, that's not fair and accurate. Um, or maybe that's first. And secondly, that's, that's not accurate. And I wanted to kind of do, do justice to a delicate 
time, you know, both for the baby right. and, and for Otho's parents. Yeah. And so three years ago, when I, when we did the third edition of my first book, pulled that newborn um, information out, did more sort of broad strokes on newborns, and then dedicated, you know, this whole next book on the zero to five months. And I know that, you know, not everybody calls like a four and five month old a newborn, um, but I'm, I'm I wanted to address this whole age group and really sort of like scream from a mountaintop that that you don't have to let these babies cry it yeah. out. Um, and honestly, um, I hope you don't actually. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you did, by the way. And you're listening to this and it went well, don't feel guilty. I don't want you to feel like, oh no, you've done something to your child. Most of the people that I'm talking to are either having, you know, unrealistic expectations of their newborn or they maybe listened to some of this advice and they and they tried it and they had one of those babies that doesn't cry just five minutes and then sleeps through the night, right. you know? Um, and so it, this is for, for either the parents who don't want to do that from the get-go or who tried and unfairly now feel like a failure, you know, um, because you're not a failure. It, it may very well be that your child wasn't ready and you have to, we have to factor in all these other elements that we'll probably talk about today. So I feel really strongly about that. And I want to lift that guilt, you know, weight that is put on all those parents now for being told that you got to let your newborn cry it out. Yeah. And I, I was one of those moms, my first baby, Mm -hmm. and he had really bad colic or, you know, whatever was going on. He was crying all the time and I needed a break and I heard about cry it out and I put him in there to cry and then he's crying and I'm in the other room. And even though I need a break, I'm sitting there like, I can't handle this and I don't want to do this. And I remember I took a picture of him one time and I actually think he was about four or five months. And I do consider that newborn myself. And um, there was a picture of he was in his crib and he had his little head. He had fallen asleep. He was sitting up, had his head up against the crib and just this tear. And it broke me. I'm going to get emotional about it right now. And I'm like, who does that? Like me as a mom, like he was sitting here crying for me, asking for help. It's how they communicate. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He doesn't need to self-soothe in this moment. He needed his mommy. And that Mm -hmm. was a realization for me of like, no, I'm here to help you feel comfortable, to help you feel safe, to be, you know, comfortable wherever you're at and be able to sleep better that way. You're going to sleep better. Um, I mean, as an adult, if my husband leaves for a night or two, he's gone for a week. I don't sleep well, you know, and here we've got Mm -hmm. a baby, this Mm -hmm. little baby that's completely dependent Mm -hmm. on me, who's been in my body for nine Mm -hmm. months and you come out and I'm like, okay, I I need distance. You know, what does that do? I I mean, so I I understand both sides of the like, yes, don't feel guilty if that was you. But also it's okay to recognize that that is how babies communicate and it is normal and natural and that and loving on them for it or allowing them to cry with you or not putting them down to cry it out is also okay. And you can trust your intuition and gut on that. So I'm, I'm with you. It doesn't have to be, I do cry it out or I'm going to have sleepless, you know, chaos and depression for six months or a year either. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I've been that mom. So I just appreciate the message that you were saying. I think it's extremely, extremely needed. Um, Actually, before we get into, because I do want to kind of lead into this newborn phase and I want to talk about these things, something that I noticed as I was um, kind of glancing through your book and reading a couple of topics was you talked about things that mom can do, moms can do now during pregnancy, um, even before baby's born. One of the things that you talked about actually had to do with trauma, which I thought was so um, kind of like eye opening and something that I talk about, right, when we're talking about pregnancy and birth and all of that and, um, yeah. you know, all the work that we do to try to avoid a traumatic birth experience and whatever, Um not that it doesn't happen and that there's steps that you can take or you can have a great experience and you still experience trauma. However, I thought it was really interesting that you mm-hmm. connected having some trauma during pregnancy and or birth with how your baby's sleeping or that connection after. We talk about that mm-hmm. just for a moment before we dive into the newborn stuff. Mm. Mm. Such a big... Um... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, no, no, no. I, I think that it, like even if you just step back for a moment and look at, at trauma as, as a piece of the big picture that, um, when we have our, when we have children and, uh, or give birth to a baby or, uh, or adopt a baby and our, right. Our childhood uh, unresolved issues will also come to the forefront, particularly, usually often at the age your child is that you might've experienced Mm. a trauma. But if you are um, a pregnant uh, parent too, or a pregnant mom, uh, soon to be parent, and you know that you've already experienced trauma, um, then, then I encourage you to have support in your life now. Um, Whether that's seeing a therapist, whether it's, well, of course I'm biased. Mm -hmm. I, think it's great to see a therapist Um, (laughs) and and a good one, right? Right. You know, one you really connect with and feel safe with and also who understands postpartum um, because not all of them do. Um, And being prepared for that, particularly even if you've had some, you know, you've been treated for depression or anxiety that put things that will put you at higher risk um, after you give birth. Um, and, and then when we go into birth, um, and you know, look, this is important. What you consider trauma, Stephanie, and what I consider trauma can be vastly different. Yes. Right. Um, and I give some examples that of that in, in my book, and that's important to know too. Right. Um, and then once, you know, when you're planning your birth plan, you know more about this as, you know, a, a birth doula that, um, I like to think of it as, um, a wish list, like Dr. Show says, because we can't always control or we can't control what uh, how our birth will be. We can have, you know, a wish for it. And that even if you have, um, you know, a birth that didn't end up being an emergency C-section, your baby is healthy, you can still experience trauma in the birth. Could be the way you're treated um, by somebody, a separation, you know, your, your partner goes in another room, there's a, you know, 10 minute scare about the baby or whatever it is that triggers you. I just want moms to be 
aware and to ask for support because that does end up affecting your emotional well-being um, when you have your baby at home. And, you know, that's when I talk about all the other things because I, I, I'm just kind of disturbed by, and the more I researched for this book, the more I found this to be true of when we're pregnant, it's all about us. Then you have the baby and it's all about the baby. Mm-hmm. And we are, you know, we're, we're one in the beginning <laughs> for quite some time. And so it, it has to be both. And I really think it actually has to be the whole family um, yeah. as well being that has to be considered. Yeah. As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot, totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. Yeah, we call it actually, um, the way that I teach it, it's called a birth map. And it's kind of the same idea that it's like, there's so many different paths to this destination of getting mom and baby, you know, healthy baby, healthy mom here at the end. Um, but so many different yeah. things that can happen and and turns you might have to take. Um, but support mm-hmm. is where it's at. That is top of the line. Number one, just like you had mentioned, you know, you can have the, the what looks like the best birth on paper and it can be traumatic. Um, just like you can have an emergency cesarean and some other things that may be traumatic and come out of it feeling great because it was the right thing to do because you tried all the things because you were supported throughout. Right. So, um, yeah, right. I'm with you on that. OK, mm-hmm. let's talk about bringing mm-hmm. baby home because we know it can be pretty overwhelming mm-hmm. as new moms. We've got this new baby. We're bringing them home. What do you think parents should be focusing on during those first few months or what are some of your best tips for those first few months and weeks? Yeah. So the first few months are, I think, having realistic expectations um, and ha- ha- really have this first three months uh, you know, they, we, we talk about the baby, you know, Dr. Karp talks about, you know, it's the fourth trimester for the baby. I think it should be also the fourth trimester for the family. Right. <laughs> right. So we need to be focusing on healing, you know, nutrition, bonding and a calm environment, honestly, you know, um, and, even though I know that there, I was just talking to another parent who was like, you know, my, my in-laws met us at the house and they had balloons and all the candle, you know, cake. And it was too much. It was completely Mm. overwhelming. It'd be better for it to, you know, to be much more quieter. Um, and, and thinking about, you know, we live in, well, honestly, this has now become a global, it's not just, let's say in the United States or North America, where there's really much an expectation of like, you have the baby, you get back on it, right? You're, you know, you're looking good. You lose your baby weight. You should look great on Instagram. (laughs) You should feel motivated and do all of those things. And like, you know, most of us who've had a baby are feel like, I'll, I'll just speak for myself. 
I didn't feel that way. Um, I thought, you know, breastfeeding was harder than I thought it would be. Uh, I was completely unprepared for the amount of crying. I also felt like, why didn't anybody tell me that labor and delivery hurts a lot? Um, Or, you know, there was all of these, you know, emotions um, and things to, to consider. And so, Realistic expectations regarding our baby and sleep, these are two important things. One is our our brain and our partner's brain changes when we have a baby, not just because, oh, you know, we're, our mil- our hormones are shifting and we're creating milk and, you know, um, and our uterus is contracting <laughs> and helping us, you know, get back um, into, you know, pre-baby uh, um, stage, but it's also changing our brain so that it makes it harder for us to multitask. Um, and it, that might be hard for, you know, if you were like fast paced before you had a baby, all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, what happened to my brain? Um, I can't remember anything. It's on purpose. It's supposed to make it so that you zero in on your baby, um, and attune to them, attach to them and learn how to read their cues and know that they're trying to figure out how to communicate their needs to you because in utero, they didn't have to communicate anything, right? It just happened. And so if we take, you know, that knowledge that, wow, I need to focus on that, therefore creating that calm, nurturing environment for all of us, um, then I would say the other thing is to remember that our baby's brain is in a really primitive state. They don't understand, you know, even like your partner, husband, whatever, drops a pan in the kitchen in the other room and makes a huge noise. They startled. They don't know like, oh, somebody dropped something in the kitchen. Right. right? Um, and so uh, that's pretty much like anything. Who are these, you know, strangers in my face um, talking loudly? They can't even like turn their head away. Mm. Um, they don't know yet how, how to do that. So I think reminding ourselves that they, that they don't know how to do that. And therefore we need to, again, have that kind of calm, low stimulation environment. We all learn better in a calm regulated state than one when we are feeling dysregulated and off. And then the other thing is, um, is focus on feeding because that's really your, your number one, you know, most besides of course, you know, making sure your baby's not sick or after, after those things, it's feeding. Um, and so if you're breastfeeding, being in communication with a lactation consultant, if you're formula feeding, you know, being in touch with your, your pediatrician and making sure that's going well. And then in terms of sleep, then it's really focusing on avoiding day-night confusion. Mm. And I don't know if you want me to kind of go into a couple of tips yes. on that. because I think <laughs> That sounds great. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so the, the, our internal clock, which is called the circadian rhythm, tells us when to be asleep and when to be awake, right? And it doesn't like it when we operate off mode. So with our babies, that internal clock is not developed for several months. It just starts to get developed around three to four months. And it really is around, 
right? And then is more kind of solid six months. And then our sleep, our children's sleep architecture continues to change for the first two years of life. So, so remember that. So that means then if they, their internal clock is not developed for several months, then we have to be what I call their external clock. So we want them to get to uh, the feel or the energy of when, what do we do at night and what do we do it in the day? So at night, everything you should try to create. And I know in the beginning, their baby, your baby's bedtime might be around your bedtime, or you'll be sort of trying to figure that out. Try to slowly get to, okay, it's going to be, and I hate to give it time <laughs> because then people are like, oh, she said, the right. baby, you know, like you have to watch your baby's cues. Um, but a lot of times in the beginning, it is later and that you have a quiet bedtime routine and your you know room darkening shades you're dimming the light you know swaddling them and you know white noise if you want and you know putting them in their sleeping area and yes it's okay if you're feeding them to sleep this is the beginning right they don't have any self soothing skills um and uh and then um all night wakening same thing quiet dim light, right? We're kind of giving that vibe. I know you, your body doesn't know this yet, but my body does. It's nighttime. And during the day, it really is a time for us to open our shades. Ideally, if the weather is nice enough, go outside, Mm -hmm. get some fresh air, but at the very least open the shades, open windows, have a day experience. And, um, and then the other thing, which most people don't talk about, everybody says, you know, don't wake a sleeping baby. Here's one time where I would say during the day, wake your babies within three hours if they're sleeping so they don't miss a feeding. Cause we want to try to give that message like, oh, let's try to eat more during the day, mm-hmm. even though in the beginning we're, we're probably going to be pretty equal yeah. and, uh, and have a long, you know, say, save, if you will, our long stretches for the nighttime. And that will really help. And then you'll begin to like, oh, I start to see, we're going to start our day at this time in the morning, that seems to be a typical time. And it helps bring us a very, I don't want to say schedule, but a a beginning framework for the day. You know, I think that's good for moms too, as you're talking about, you know, treating the whole family and everything, because it can be really easy to kind of slip into that depression if we're not, that's what it's like, you need to be eating healthy and make sure that you're drinking water and take your vitamins and get outside in the sun every day. And you're even like, I love this, like, and get up in the morning and open the windows and like it's daytime for everybody. <laughs> you know, I think that's part yeah. of soothing for mom too. Um, it's Absolutely. super important. Um, you, okay. Mm-hmm. You call your approach baby led. And I know that there's a lot of, you mm-hmm. know, like I even, and even had somebody on recently who talked about baby led weaning, um, but this is baby led mm-hmm. and you're talking about sleeping. Um, will you talk about what yeah. you mean by that and how does it connect yeah. with what you call your fast approach? Yeah. So, you know, I didn't come up with that name until I was like solidly through my second draft of this book. Mm. Um, and that often happens when you write it, write a book. Um, uh, I started with the fast and then I thought, wow, you know, and that's what I, one of the things I like about, um, baby led weaning is that it, you know, it's about the baby, right. Giving you signs and cues and you reading them accordingly. And I thought, well, 
that's what we're doing here, right? It's not, even though the book is set up by months because I had to find some way to organize it. I, you know, I really want parents to think in terms of stages, right? You know, even though, because the, the, you know, when a child reaches a certain developmental stage is, you know, it's, soft, Mm -hmm. right? Right. It's not like, oh, at eight weeks, exactly this will happen. It's like, oh, somewhere between six and eight weeks. So, so I thought that that was important that parents felt like, oh, the, the baby is leading the way here. And as in the beginning, we do everything for the parent, as the parent to assist them and, and care for them and get them to sleep. And then as their skills increase, we can do less and less and sort of, it's like a, I always think of the metaphor of a passing of the baton, Mm. but we're with them through, through that process. And the fast elements are um, basically the things that we need to consider when, you know, in order to address, improve and set the stage for great sleep um, down, down the road. So first is, development, even though I know that's not in the fast, but that's sort of, you know, a given here. And then um, making sure our babies are well-fed, as I said earlier, right? Because a baby who's not eating enough, let's say during the day is going to need to eat more during the night, right? They need, you know, there's certain guidelines that all, all babies need. And then the A is for attachment, um, and it's connected to S, which is soothing, um, because our first, you know, task for all of us as humans um, in Erickson uh, theory is trust versus mistrust, mm-hmm. right? Is that we are first figuring out, can I trust my caregivers to be there for me, to respond to me, to help me meet my needs um, that that we can't meet ourselves. And that's how this, this secure attachment begins to be formed. It, it doesn't happen overnight, right? (laughs) Um, it happens over, over years. Um, but these, you know, and the first three years are, are pretty, are very pivotal. Um, and I would say even these first few months are very, are really essential and critical. So I want parents to be responsive because again, that's what we're doing. We're, we're saying, I'm not saying the minute your baby has a peep, like you run and trip over things <laughs> and, you know, um, but you may say, I'll be right there, honey. You know, not that they can understand, but they're going to hear your voice. They know you're responding. And then you go and attend. And we talk about in the book, you do what I call soar. You stop you observe your baby and you assess like, why are they crying? What do they potentially need? How long have they been awake? When did they last feed? What's the environment? What's going on? Do they seem physically comfortable? And then we respond um, accordingly. Um, And so that kind of connects with soothing because in the beginning, our babies don't know how to differentiate their cries and we don't magically know what every cry means. I think that that's something I, I even felt like, oh, when I had my first child, oh, geez, you know, we're supposed to know all of a sudden, like, 
what if I don't know? <laughs> right. And, and I realized after many you know years that, that it's a process that, and especially after I learned that they don't even differentiate their cries for months, um, that I felt relieved. Yeah. I thought, okay. Um, so part of them learning how to differentiate their cries is in that relationship between, you know, their caregivers, like, and how you, how you respond. And by the way, you're going to get it wrong. Sometimes we all do, but that's okay. Um, and then finally the T that is so hugely overlooked, um, in, in sleep coaching in general. And I think really in, in parenting is temperament. Mm. Um, it is a big factor. And even though science says we don't we can't really see what a baby's temperament is until around four months is like the time when science says, oh, we can say this more definitively. If you've ever had one of these intense babies or what I like to call alert babies, you can tell very early on. I remember my second one was like this. And I remember at the two week checkup, um, my pediatrician was like, uh oh, <laughs> you got yourself a tigger <laughs> from Winnie the Pooh um, instead of like a calm, mellow Winnie the Pooh. Um, and I was like, what? Um, but of course, you know, by four months, I 100% knew that this was, this baby's had a different temperament. And, and depending on your baby's temperament, that will affect, first of all, how much stimulation they can handle. And they already can't handle a lot. Um, and how fast you can move in sleep shaping and coaching, and even when you might be able to stop start, because these babies, it's a little harder for them to filter out their environment because um, they're so engaged with it and to self-regulate. So they really need a lot more help from us in the beginning to, you know, take it down <laughs> so that they can um, learn and sometimes in a slow, on a slower pace. By the way, nothing to do with IQ. Those children, there's actually studies that say that it's linked to a slightly higher IQ. Um, so just want to make sure nobody's thinking that way. Okay. I like it. Um, I appreciate that approach too. I think it, it all makes sense. And I love those little acronyms that just remind us of what to do along the way, especially when we're tired ourselves. So <laughs> that's yes. really perfect. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I noticed and that I appreciated actually about your book was you add in uh, every section has self-care for mom. We talk to me why mm -hmm. about why you did that and why you think it's so important. Mm -hmm. You know, I fought for that, for those sections. Um, and, uh, uh, because, you know, in books, you know, pages are ex expensive. Um, and especially now, um, in our world with supply chain issues. Um, and so I, I said, I'm just, I don't want to, I don't want to cut it out. Mm. Um, and partly because of the point I made earlier about the focus of, um, once you have the baby, it becomes, uh, all about the baby and not about the parent on top of societal pressures. Um, I think honestly, globally to just get back, um, get back to work right away. Or even if you're, um, fortunate enough to, to be, able to stay at home, um, it's still get back to your life right. before. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I read this amazing book, um, 
called the postpartum depletion cure. Um, He's a physician in in Australia who taught, and he he differentiates depletion from postpartum mood and anxiety disorder. And not that you can't have both and and depletion can't set you up for that. Absolutely. Um, but he talked about how our, our world has moved away from that that fourth trimester for the family yeah. and what that does um, to us and that it sets up a depletion from the beginning and, um, and how there's this sort of disconnect between baby and, and mom when really in the beginning, you know, we're one, um, uh, or the baby thinks that, that we're one. Um, they still don't completely understand that they are a separate being. And so I felt like it would have been a disservice to say, um, to talk only about the baby. Yeah. Cause I, you know, it's just like when you're calm and, and centered, you know, Really, honestly, the whole family is more so able true. to be common. It's so frustrating but sometimes, it, but it's so true. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, they say that the women are sort of like the emotional keeper of the family right. and the hearth of the family. And so it's even more important that, you know, we take care of our, ourselves. And, and, and one day you will be a model to your children of that. Yeah. You know, as um, I mean, my even though my girls are in their 20s, uh, you know, I was modeling it way earlier, whether I was aware of it or not um, uh, or, or good at it or not. Right. You know, you do you do model that. And most but for this stage of parenting is because your baby's affected by your where you're where you're at. And so that's why it's so important. Um, Mm -hmm. Something that you talk about too, just before we get into kind of wrapping things up here, so we're not here too long. Um, But something that you talk about, and I love this topic as well, is close co-sleeping and bed sharing. Um, And Mm -hmm. I want to hear a little bit about that in regards to sleep, um, kind of what your Mm -hmm. recommendations are, maybe how to do it safely, um, or just kind of, I don't know, a couple of tips and tricks real quick. Yeah, I think that... um, that should be part of the birth plan. Maybe it's Mm, not the birth plan, but whatever your roadmap, as you call it, um, love that, uh, that you discuss that. And then you, and then you have to give yourself grace to know that you may have a baby that that doesn't work well Mm. for bed sharing or, or co-sleeping, or, uh, you don't really like it. Or your partner doesn't like it, but more importantly, you can't get any sleep. Yeah, um, and that will further deplete you and be really much harder to to function in the way that we all want to function. So give yourself that room because you don't know who you're going to get, <laughs> um, so true. and you don't know how it will be for you. Like for me, I I, I thought I was going to like that having them right next to our our bed, but every squeak and babies make a lot of noise in the beginning because they have 50% REM sleep, um, which is that light sleep. Um, I was awake. Um, and so, uh, at the same time, uh, 60% of parents will co-sleep at some point in the first year of life. So, um, it's important that we do it safely. Um, and if, 
if you decide as an example, you're not going to, and your baby's going to sleep separately in a separate room or room sharing, um, but you find that you're often in desperation bringing them into your bed that has a pillow top and quilts and, you know, right. everything else. And I would encourage you to create a safe backup plan, mm. whether that's like a futon in the room or you put the bassinet in another room and you sleep on a mattress on the floor or whatever it is so that you're not bringing the baby into an unsafe sleep environment. And it could be a couch a rocking chair, um, things like that. So I think, again, thinking forward. Um, and then a, a nice in-between, honestly, is the co-sleeper right next to the crib mm-hmm. that can have the railing down um, where you can easily take your baby in and out and you can even like touch them to sleep yeah, or right. back to sleep, you know, soothing, patting, even just having your, your hand on them. Or if you're feeding or rocking to sleep and putting them in the co-sleeper right next to your bed and laying your hand on them is it's kind of a nice happy medium because then also once your baby gets a little bit older and you no longer want to go to bed super early or you want them to nap uh, and you don't want to nap, <laughs> um, you can have them nap there and put up and put up the railing. Yeah. So it's a nice in between. But I think it's important for parents to just think that through and not have it be and also that's another one of those myths that if you co-sleep, you'll never get your kid out of your yeah, bed and you'll true. have a lifetime. I, <laughs> not true. I don't agree no. with that either. I mean, I think even if you co-sleep, your baby at some point has to learn how to put themselves to sleep independently. So you're not also going to bed at 7 p.m. Right. kind of thing. But other than that, when done safely and everyone's happy in the family with it, I'm a supporter. Yeah, I, I loved it. All the talk is honestly making me wish I had my little guys back in my bed. Even as they got older, I've had moments where I was like to my husband, Michael, please, can we just let's just like filter them through this week and just let them sleep in the bed. You know, my husband hates it. And of course, they're older and turning around and kicking us and whatever. But I, I just loved sleeping with my baby so much. And for me, I did get more sleep that way. I was like, oh, if I don't have to physically get up and sit in a rocking chair with you, like I can just go like this and yeah. lean my arm over and like this to the other side. It was, oh, once I figured that out, it was gold. But you're right, personality. And and it was the same thing for us. Like I'll just share now, like my husband by six months was like, I am not sleeping. Like they can't be in the bed much longer. And we had to figure that part out too. So um, it's whatever works for your family. But yes, I love as long as you're doing it safely, that that's an option Uh for all families to be able to do that. So it's pretty cool. And that, you know, and that you're thinking kind of longer term, where do I want this to go sure. and that you're setting this date. I love the baby whispers saying, do now as you mean to do later. Just maybe you don't have to do it now, but sure. you want to have, as you say, that road ma- yeah. map so that I know how I'm going to get yeah. there. Yeah, I love that. Okay. Before we get off of here, will you take a moment and talk about your new book release? Cause it's coming out soon. Yes, it is. I'm very excited. I know there's a big picture of the cover. Um, it is coming out on March 21st. You can buy it at, you know, bookstores and online anywhere near you, you know, inside the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And um, before that, you can uh, pre-order it and go back onto my website at sleeplady.com and we'll give you some great book bonuses. We have a really fun um, digital planner and some other 
other um, PDFs and you get a free uh, preview of my newborn course that will be released a week later. That's awesome. I am all about when I buy books, I love to get the bonuses. So if you guys are listening today and this conversation (laughs) was good for you, go pre-order the book and get all the bonuses because that's where it's at. I love it so much. And I'll show it here for those of you that are watching with me now. But this is the new book that I've been so blessed to have early. Thank you so much, Kim, for sending that. That was awesome. You're um, and will you tell people where they can find you too? How do they connect with you? Social media, email, website, all of that stuff. Yeah, super easy. The Sleep Lady. Awesome. Both on Instagram, YouTube, um, you know, Facebook, Pinterest, and of course my website, sleeplady.com. Perfect. And I'll have all that in the show notes. So thank you so much for your time today, for your knowledge, for the care that you have taken into serving women well. I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you, Stephanie. Thanks for having yeah. me. That's it for this week, but make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you get notifications first as I drop new episode every week. And don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for all of the free downloads mentioned here and to join the birth course and community serving pregnant moms just like you. If you enjoyed this and other episodes, I would love it if you would take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one and include one at the beginning of each episode. See you next week.